0: Good morning, food lovers. Uh, we have an interesting program for you today. We always have an interesting program Yeah, for well, today. But you're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Hay, and our theme is really not
1: a specific not theme. theme.
0: It's con kind of the variables. It is various, and each one has its own sort of
1: interest. So. Well, Funny enough, I kind of re- remember a little poem snippet, poem that. Fits with the first interview we have today. Blood, blood, glorious blood, there's nothing like it for cooling the blood. For what? For cooling the blood. You're going gonna to find out more about this glorious red substance from a good friend of ours from, from Canada, Toronto, who writes about the most obscure things. I think well, you are most them. obscure, but they're not easy, something Actually, because... I mean, she's done um, uh,
0: various innards and um, and so forth. And this this one she's tackling is um, blood, like as an ingredient, like
1: Mm
0: -hmm. cooking with it, putting in food, eating it. Anyhow, we're talking about Jennifer McLogan, who's um, one of our most favorite people, and she's always she always has a challenging subject and an interesting perspective let 's listen to this, Jennifer McLaughlin, you actually don't ever take an easy topic for your run of cookbooks. I mean I 'm looking at this list here: bones, fat, odd bits, and bitter. I mean, I think we've interviewed you about all of those, but but you really this is a a, a very far reach. You have a cookbook about blood. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I guess it is. A,
2: you're right, Anne. It is a far reach. But you know, I like I like to write cookbooks about subjects that interest me, with the hope that there'll be at least a few other people that are interested too. And you know, there are kind of enough books in the world on pasta and oh, I know. Uh, you know, cakes and whatever the latest trend is. I'm definitely against
0: the current and listeners by the way um Jennifer is in Toronto uh, that's her um, home base for the most part um but but she does travel and you you brought a lot of interesting information from uh Europe to this book too um blood yeah, is that- you, you say that it's a, a legitimate and very old ingredient in cooking right
2: that's true it's one I mean you can trace it right back to Homer's Odyssey, um, where he was going to reward the successful soldiers in battle with um with basically a blood pudding that was their reward, and that made them quite excited. they were quite happy to eat that and when you think about it, when people killed animals um, you know it was uh, a lot of meat, but one of the first things to come when you slaughter an animal is the blood, and right. that would be kept and used with the intestines and the other perishable parts to make some sort of sausage. That's probably one of the very earliest foods that was made.
1: Now, would that would that be what the Romans called the, the fifth quarter?
2: No, I didn't. No, I haven't heard that
1: term. I didn't or, either. Well, apparently we 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 were at a restaurant in. Can't remember the name name of the sort of Testaccio, I think, or somewhere like. that. Oh.
3: And you go, up, you go down into yeah, um, Testaccio,
1: and right across the street from this restaurant, is what used abattoir. to be what used to be the abattoir, and and the the workers there, the workers who cut up the meat and all that kind of stuff. They didn't get they didn't get money. They got the trimmings. And this That's right. That's, that,
2: that is a term for offal and what is discarded yeah. because the animal is slaughtered and cut into four sections, and the stuff that the meat that doesn't fit into the four sections, right, like exactly. the liver
0: and the spleen yeah. and the tripe. But and, you're talking but, about the the liquid. I mean, you even have in your book a, a definition um, of what is blood, and I I didn't know that what like steaks that people order bloody, it's not blood at all, is it? No, that's interesting because you always think
2: that when you cut that rare steak, it's blood oozing out. But if yeah. You, yeah. But if you think about it, blood goes through your body, uh, animal's body and our own body, through the veins. A- and what you're eating is not the veins, you're eating a muscle. And exactly. what comes out of a rare steak is myoglobin, which is very similar to blood, but it isn't, strictly speaking, blood.
0: Now, my understanding is that this, this is kind of a small book. But you really want to actually publish a much larger study of cookbooks about blood? I'd love, Anne, to do a big, That's
2: glamorous coffee table picture book with history and then all around the world. And there's a lot of very interesting chefs and just regular people, especially outside my comfort zone, which is Europe. Um, in Asia and China and the Philippines, all around the world. I mean, there's really no culture that cooks that doesn't use blood. And I think it would be a super, super interesting way to present it to people. But I wanted to start somewhere, and I wanted to just make that first step to get people thinking about it and thinking about why aren't we cooking with it when it's such a wonderful source of protein and iron. Yeah, well, it's...
0: it's, um, It does all kinds of different things. It's not just a a, a flavoring ingredient. I mean, it has physical characteristics. Um, I recall that the original rabbit stew, the French recipe, had blood in it. I mean, I've never had it that way, but that's what I understood was in the original rabbit stew recipe. That's exactly correct, and it's a classic Uh, Rabla de
2: Lievre, which is a hair dish that's the sauce is thickened with blood. That's it. And it's super rich. And like vin was originally thickened with blood. Blood has the same properties as eggs. So when you heat it up, it thickens things. So if you were making a simple stew, you could put a couple of tablespoons of blood in there and it would thicken up the stew and enrich it. But you have the same problem that you have as with eggs, is
0: if you heat, them, heat the blood too much, it will curdle. You so have to be a little bit careful. Now, um, you, you write this book knowing that people with certain cultures will immediately respond with yuck, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: that's the big, is getting over that disgust, part with blood and and that's just you know I, I think that stems from unfamiliarity a lot of things disgust us just because we're unfamiliar with them you know we say oh i hate that i don't like the taste of it and a lot of the time we've never even eaten it it's just in our, it's in our head it's
0: between yeah, our ears well, that we don't i like have it. this i have i mean we we happen to love blood sausage um but i i i couldn't get my uh, head around uh, your description of what sundry was—it was the fashionable young ladies would show up at the abattoir for their cup of blood. This is invigorating. <laughs> I'm I, I, drinking it. Was I couldn't get to that point at
3: all.
2: I'm almost with you. In fact, chicken, they, they, they drank the blood to protect themselves against tuberculosis, which of course it didn't. <laughs> um, but it did make them, uh, gave them a shot of iron, and in fact that went on in the U.S. as well. Interestingly enough, in Chicago and New York, people would drink blood as a health tonic. And in the book, there is three recipes for cocktails. Now, I'm not. this is just for fun. Oh, yeah, I, I was going to get mine.
0: to that one. I thought that was yeah. incredible. You, when you were talking about that one cocktail, and you said it was made with, what was it, bourbon or something. And you said yeah, you didn't like bourbon. I mean, you didn't say you didn't like blood. You said you didn't like bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> they made it with gin, and you liked it.
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing. You see, it wasn't the blood that put me off; it was
0: the bourbon. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Well, you know, but as much as as I'm an adventurous eater, I couldn't get past your uh, blood um, marshmallows. <laughs>
2: I, I, I would I would uh, make you a, uh, a
0: batch of them, and I doubt you would know there was any blood in there at all. Uh huh. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, we've eaten at uh, Mugaritz, and um, I, I didn't. I can't recall. I was searching my head for what we had there, if we had any blood at all. Um, what, what, what is the recipe from Mugaritz that you have? Um,
2: well, it's not. It's from a. It's The idea came from a friend in Australia who had, when we were talking about it, she said she'd had a blood marshmallow at Mugritz. And unfortunately, I haven't eaten there, though it is on my list one day when restaurants open again. Um, But my recipe is adapted from another friend of mine, David Leibovitz.
0: Yeah, I know David, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's just a classic marshmallow recipe. But you see, once you understand that you can replace eggs, whole eggs or egg whites or yolks in any recipe with blood, it starts to open a whole new world of ideas for you.
0: And yeah, here's here's rosemary sanguinaccio from Nip <laughs> Yeah,
2: <That laughs> Dessert. An, um, I think okay. I'm
0: put off by desserts with blood in them for some reason.
2: <laughs> yes, but they have a wonderful because of when you cook the blood it turns into that chocolate colour. So if you're unaware, you uh-huh. your mind says chocolate, and actually there's usually cocoa in there or some chocolate, and so it says chocolate on your tongue. It's not like you think about an egg. There's eggs in there, but you're not like having a raw egg. The egg, if you don't really like eggs raw, but you like uh-huh. them when you cook with them. So blood is really the same kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, you you know um, you you mentioned one of the uh, uh, the phobias we have. Uh, is we have images in our head around blood which are counter, um, what do you call it, appetizing, (laughs) Uh, or or appetizing in a nasty way like with horror films, with vampires (laughs) making blood, drinking blood,
2: right? Yeah, Yeah, that's a big problem and that's what I'm trying to overcome. And I'm trying to make people think about that and think about, you know, it's pretty odd that we eat eggs and, and we drink milk, if you think about that. But we're yeah, so do. used to it that we don't think it's odd to just reach in our fridge and take out an egg. And I blindly hope that one day we won't think it's odd to reach into our fridge or our freezer and take out a small amount of blood to thicken something or to make a chocolate tart for people that have a, a, an egg allergy or to use this resource that at the moment is being totally wasted
1: uh-huh. is, is that yeah, what happens yeah, what? In, the, in, the, in the food chain in the in the slaughterhouses that the blood blood just gets collected and thrown away
2: a lot of it a lot of it goes into products that you would not expect it to go into and some you would it goes into reinforced meat products it goes, the protein goes into reinforced flour so they can make high protein flour with uh, softer flour. It goes into things, to, it works as a glue to stick together fake crab legs. Oh, wow. And it goes into protein drinks. So it goes in, and dog food, it goes into that, but a lot of it gets thrown away. And that is. And it's so nutritious, it's a shame, huh? Yeah, it's so It gets nutritious. thrown away and it creates huge environmental problems in the system if it isn't properly disposed of.
0: Yes, and you say it's easily contaminated, which is part of the uh, issue, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah. And you think think about the blood. Now, if the farmer could sell that, there's a lot of blood in the world. That would be another resource that would help farmers. You know, everyone likes to talk nose to tail, but even then they're still not nose to tailing Mm -hmm. everything. The blood
0: (laughs) is getting thrown away and not used correctly. (coughs) This is something that I I didn't know about at all, is that you talk about um, bleeding animals for food. Uh, This has been found in, like, um, uh, uh, Mongolian um, nomads and and, um, also Egyptian, I think. I didn't know anything about this bleeding of the animals, like, if you were on a horse, you needed the horse for transportation, but you could make a cut in his neck and bleed it and and it would sustain you for a period of time. Yes, yes. It's like I was horrified when I read that you could you could take a leader from a horse every 10 days without damaging the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it's what, like when you go to the blood bank, they
2: can take a couple of liters out of you and you produce it again. And when you think, it, I mean, the Maasai are famous for this, the Maasai have cattle. Right, and, right, they drink it all and, the time, right? Yeah, they drink the blood and they mix it with the milk of the animal, and it's almost the perfect food. It has all the amino acids and, and protein and everything it, they need. And of course, they they still have their cattle. And and the Irish did this, and the Scots up until relatively recently. Really, and Irish? huh? Yes, yes. Um, Doreen Allen was telling me about that when I was at Oxford, and um, oh, yeah? but I I knew that this was a process. So instead of you know they needed the the animal to pull the plow or do and they would just bleed a small amount and they would make a pudding or they'd make they'd use it as a protein and early explorers in the americas did the same thing because as you said they need their horses but they they it was kind of an emergency food but they didn't kill the animal at all
0: Hmm. it's amazing and Mm. of course the medicinal benefits of blood have been touted by a number of different cultures um Yeah, tell us a little bit about um, some of these recipes. I mean, did you add blood to uh, certain recipes just to see if you could replace another ingredient with it? Um, Well, I took recipes where there were eggs, right?
2: I mean, oh, I think my eyes got opened. When I I published a version of Nick uh, Malgiare's recipe in odd bits, and you know that that for me was right. a big eye opener. That you because um, probably like you, you grew up on blood pudding. I have a recipe in there for blood pudding. You grew up on savory blood things like sanguiette, which is a classic French dish, which is basically scrambled blood because yes. it works like eggs. You scramble the blood with bacon and garlic and some parsley and a little bit of vinegar at the end, which is super delicious. But I want I thought if i 'm going to make people try blood, I have to make it sweet because you put some sugar in there, everyone loves it so <laughs> <Except>
0: uh, <me.
2: laughs> I made the brownies. I took a recipe from my friend Dory Greenspan yeah and, uh, and you know i I did a recipe for these ginger chocolate brownies, and you would I would bet you would not know there 's any blood in there, but it's they 're totally delicious, totally yeah. delicious, perhaps i don 't think I don't know if they 're richer than eggs, but they just have a really Good taste. There's nothing wrong with the texture. When you put blood in things, it's not like trying to get people to like tripe or brains or kidneys. You know, see, or I happens. eat
0: tripe and I eat brains. Problems. It's just yeah, i I I'd I'd eat too. blood crackers too. Mm-hmm. The, and you probably black eat the baguette. blood marshmallows. You'd probably eat the blood <laughs> marshmallows. See, I turned up with <laughs> You've blood bread in here. I mean, just absolutely. But you, you've other little explanations going through, weaving through here, which probably um, is part of your mission to uh, destigmatize uh, this, the whole cookie with blood. And so uh, you have a section called Modern Taboos. Tell us about that. Ah, Modern
2: Taboos. Um, I'm just trying to think what I do have in that section. eh? <laughs> well, you
0: have psychology professors' comments and so forth, and oh, moral. Yes, yes. well, yeah, those kinds it, it, you of
2: things. Know, it's hard to get people. Um, you know, anything you put in your mouth, you're going to have a prejudice about it, right? So it's hard to get people over that prejudice, and and it's um, it, 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 it's uh, it, it's a cultural thing. You know, it, it's it's not the I, it's the idea of eating blood that's more disgusting than eating it. So I think we have to go over that
0: idea. Uh, yes, the, so have you to have, this is where you bring in Adonis, uh, Adonis Muggerich uh, about his blood macaroon. And, and, yeah, and, and he, go ahead. And he also said, you know, you can
2: enjoy something without being conscious of what you're eating. Still, yeah. once you know, you either choose to enjoy it or the opposite. And, well, is that? I mean, this true? is certainly an
0: eye opener. I mean, blood meringues, uh, listeners, you wouldn't believe what you find in this book. But um, I, when you talk about the special um, attributes, I mean, the, the sort of physical and chemical attributes of blood as an ingredient, I think that cuts away at some of this uh, bias against blood. I mean, I'm not sure we still do we reach blood gelato yet. <laughs> You know, it's a lot of most of these recipes are not like.
2: I mean, in some I've put some in, but blood gelato that comes uh, it, from a, a great chef here in Toronto, as you said, the sanguiocchio comes from Nick. These are classic recipes. The blood pasta that's uh, a classic recipe from the from the north of Italy. Um, uh-huh. So these things have been around. They just kind of slipped out of our consciousness. And as I say, you know, my husband has a 1978. Um, copy of uh, The Joy of Cooking and in there there's Recipes for Blood
1: Really, so, yeah. I mean
2: I can remember 1979 it's not that long sure, <laughs> so <laughs> it's just slipping and I, I think that's, that's kind of a shame that we think it's kind of weird new and novel and it isn't it's very no. old and classic and there's a ton more recipes that I haven't even got to yet
1: now, now let, let's suppose then that we, we, now, we now have a new generation of cookbook readers and chefs who who want to cook your blood recipes, where do they, what kind of shop well, do they go they to, to, to to get blood? Um, you I, need mean, to... I, can, I can imagine there's a, there's, a, there's a place we went in, Toronto, when we were up there, they made something with peas, the dried peas. And I thought, well, uh-huh. that sounds like a good idea. Well, I can you imagine know, walking blood? into the store and saying, I'd like a pint of blood, please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, if you're if you're in Scandinavia, you could go in in the supermarket and buy it. So, well,
1: you can, you okay. know,
2: it, it it can be available. Um, here, I can buy it from a, a supplier in my in the Saint Lawrence Market, but hmm. butchers can get it for you. Um, and uh, so, I think it's not the supply's not the problem; the demand is. So, if you it, once there's a demand, like you know. Think of kale, like, you know,
0: it's uh, Like
2: it, That's what it can be, you know. There's stuff that you didn't think anyone would be eating, and now everyone's eating it. Uh, it's, uh, and it's not like they have to get the blood. It's already millions and millions of liters of it being produced all the time. It's Is it just like a matter pasteurized of or what? Um, it you? has to be pe- carefully collected. There's very good ways of collecting it. And then it can be either frozen if you're not going to use it fresh, or it can be dried. And in the in the U.K., you can get dried blood, and you just reconstitute it like you'd reconstitute
0: powdered milk. I can't imagine my mother-in-law buying any <laughs> dried blood <laughs> in Yorkshire. I don't, I don't see that one either. <laughs> okay.
1: The, the, the St. Saint, Saint Lawrence Market that uh, Jennifer mentions, we went there on our tour of Toronto, if you remember. When, oh, yeah. And we were up there for that food and wine festival. Mm-hmm. and, they, and they, they, they had some kind of special ham and some, somewhere in the recipe were, were peas uh, oh
2: that would be um, what is it called uh, like Canadian bacon and they put like um, like ground up mixture of pea meal pea, pea meal bacon female, pea and they meal, put it around it. the outside oh, yeah. Uh, yeah and it's actually a loin of pork that's smoked and then rolled in the crushed up ground uh, peas yeah female bacon and they make a
0: sandwich in the
2: regular market that's always a, a big deal for people
0: so you, you have a, a section called savoir Fair where you start talking about um, what kind of blood i mean from what animal i mean there's is there a big difference between pig's blood and chicken blood and beef blood or lamb's blood um,
2: not when you're going to cook with it. They're all pretty much the same. What you're worried about is the protein balance. They're all pretty much the same breakdown. Um, usually, you would have access m- mostly to uh, pork blood. It's the easiest to get. It's the easiest to get out of the animal because it's the easiest animal to clean. Like, when, when you know, it can be quite clean around the neck when you um, when you remove the blood, unlike chickens or uh, sheep, which have feathers and wool, of course, so that can contaminate the blood very easily. Um people who are experts, on, well, much more expert than me, say you can taste a difference. I've only ever had, uh, hare's blood, pork blood, and chicken blood, and then I haven't been, I haven't had them lined up like a flight of blood. So I've had them <laughs>
0: cooked. I think have to make a so date to do that one, Jennifer. <laughs> I would think it would be very interesting, actually. Uh, so I think so, back, too. I
2: I mean, I'm yeah. not sure
0: I'd be able to do it, but I think it would be interesting. Yeah, so,
1: I, I think so it would be fascinating build, to do. If they ever build that bridge to Canada that was, was in Biden's budget proposal, <laughs> we could we could, have a, we could have a flourishing market between <laughs> Toronto and New York City.
0: Yes, that blood. would be good. Oh, so um, yeah. And then there are other issues. You you say you could get it um, as liquid, dried, or coagulated. <laughs> and coagulated is often used in Asian cuisines. I don't know that I've ever had a, a stir fry with with um, coagulated blood, but I'm not sure I'd know.
2: Oh, it's kind of like, it looks like uh, lumps of chocolate tofu in there usually. And I think the first time I had it was in Vietnam in in a pho. They like to put it in a soup, lumps of uh, coagulated blood. So we can buy it really quite easily in any Asian market here. It just comes in plastic containers. But all my recipes use liquid
0: blood. Yeah. Well, you you also, you advise... um, the users of the cookbook, um, that, that you have to re-stir it. You have to strain it and then stir it again before using it and wear an apron at all times. <laughs> probably yeah, not probably a white one. Maybe not a
2: white one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I no uh, maybe argument. I should
2: start marketing blood cover, colored aprons. But- <laughs> it it, it will separate and my my supplier in the farmer's market at St. Lawrence always tells me it's like orange juice you know you have to shake it Uh you want the lid to be on firmly before you do that and although it's already got like an anticoagulant in there you need to strain it because there can be just a few little clotty bits in there so you want to strain it and then I advise people if they buy it because depends what kind of quantity it comes in I can get it in about uh, two cup containers but when I was in Australia my friend came back from the specialty butcher with I think a five liter bag uh, so oh, wow. it was a lot of blood and so you need to freeze it uh, if you're not going to use it in the next couple of days and if you do freeze it it's good to freeze it in amounts that you want to use so that when mm-hmm. you thaw it out you can use it all up straight
0: away. Well, I mean, I think that, that you're right. You're onto something here. That, that it, It's that last piece that we've got to pick up from this whole animal cookery thing um, and, and bring it to full uh, non-waste of, of any animal you kill. I think that you're, you're really right on that.
2: Oh, thanks, Anne. I, I think that's something, too, even though I see you, I'm going right against trend again because, you know, how everyone has turned vegetarian overnight and now an an <laughs> evil. But I, I still think we're going to need animals because, you know, they, they like a cow, you know, takes grass and turns it into milk, which turns into butter and cream, and that's just so fabulous. Plus, they produce a lot of manure, and that really helps all those vegetable crops to grow. So,
0: Yeah. Well, you've thought this through. Um, I hesitate to add, um, to ask rather. Uh, next book? Um, you see, I have a problem also with insects. Is that going to be your next book? Your next I title? Have a problem with insects too? <laughs> oh, you do. Uh, so we're not going to have one of those. <laughs> no, I. I've had I mean, to. I, I tried that. it at Star Chef's one year, and uh, the chef. Uh, Was sustainable main courses or something, he presented me with a platter of of deep-fried grasshoppers, I think it was. Well, crickets, Mm -hmm. I guess it was. And and I I went, I thought, I'm going to do this because I I hate having this hang over me and and I'm unable to actually bring myself to do it. So I was about to reach for it and I I just couldn't do it. I couldn't reach for it and take it and put it in my mouth. And then he said, well, you know these are baby crickets, so um, they're they're small and their their legs won't stick in your teeth, and that's just... <laughs> it. I could not, and I didn't. <laughs> Well, so. you know,
2: I, I think I, I think that's the same thing with blood. I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan, and most of the time, if they're deep-fried, anything deep-fried you eat because it's deep-fried, right? So, I mean, they still have to be tasty. I mean, you still have to make something with them that's tasty to make people want to eat them. You know, people have such a choice of foods. But, you know, we don't think about uh, shrimp much. When you look at a shrimp, it's pretty oh, much like an insect, you know. It's it just is. we're so used to seeing it. So it's that thing again, and that probably is a gener you know it's going to take a, a generation of people eating them before we just think
0: they're normal. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we get this um peel and eat shrimp that still has the shell on it and and I guess I should be repulsed by having to de-shell it by pulling its little legs off. <laughs> <laughs> is dead, but it's dead, so it's okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I I don't know if I have access to blood or not. Um, I would do the, the rabbit stew. Um, I've never made marshmallows at all, so I I don't think I'm going to do that one. <laughs> well, I, I, I just think the is pretty
2: simple. If you like to have a brownie, I, I don't have a
0: big sweet tooth, so I don't. I don't, I don't like, either. I, I yeah,
2: the, I like the savory dishes better.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I I would probably start out with the rabbit stew, uh, although the bread looked. Promising, the, uh, the the blood baguette look promising.
2: Um, and the, cracker. the crackers are
0: good. Because the, cracker. the
2: crackers are fun because they have that kind of trendy, almost black look, you know, where people are using charcoal and everything, and, and it's just awful. But these actually are enriched, and they have a really nice look to them, and they're good crackers, and that little sprinkle of salt on there is a nice contrast. Yeah, kind
0: good, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're not having insects. So what what are you going to be doing next?
2: I don't know, you know. Uh, I think I might just
0: stop. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way sometimes, too. <laughs> Especially now, it's been so boring. But um, anyhow, Jennifer McLaughlin, you are special and we always enjoy and look forward to your next book and interviewing you and laughing with you and 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 yet you really know your stuff and, and it's a serious cookbook, uh listeners. I mean it it is called Blood. So and there's a, a little um illustration of a heart <laughs> inside. Yes, that's so but true. don't be put off. Be brave. Uh, yeah, Jennifer, I hope
2: people are, are brave, and I hope that they'll enjoy some of the little historical and facts about blood, even if they never get to cook with it.
0: Oh, right. I mean, I enjoyed reading it anyhow. So, that's stuff that I never knew. But okay, well, keep us posted on what you're doing next, and lovely I to will. talk I will. It's always to great you. to talk to you. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jennifer.
3: Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. www.aspstation.net.
0: Welcome back. Um, Next up, we're going to be talking to two uh, entrepreneurs. Um,
1: So more into gadgets. Big time, right?
0: Well, you know, I don't know who you call them gadgets, but um, Sally Erickson is the first one, and she did a bunch, she had a problem, and she did research, and she had a bunch of thoughts about how to solve the problem and finally landed on veggie bags, which we've been using, and and they really work.
1: And, And there's a story all about them. Yes.
0: Sally Erickson, you know there, we interview a lot of people named Erickson on our show. Why is that?
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I wouldn't
4: know. There are some famous Ericksons, though. You know um, Renee some
0: in, in, in Seattle, Renee Erickson. No. I don't. Yeah. So anyway, anyhow, let, we're talking about your genius product here uh, called the Veggie uh. Bag. Tell us yeah. what prompted the veggie bag. Well,
4: um, in about 2010, my husband and I moved to a little, uh, the easternmost city in the United States in Maine, Eastport, Maine. And uh, over the past number of years, I'd be- become really uh just almost like a daily eater of fresh salad because it just felt like it was so important to have something crisp and real and uncooked every day. Um, I do. Well. We do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I usually do well, twice people, a day. Well, salads are just kind of the the a uh, very easy and and natural. So. Um, but being in the far north and uh, in a more extreme climate and being way out, it meant we weren't able to get very fresh greens. And so, coincidentally, there was a project going on in my county up there, uh, helping people learn how to build solar greenhouses, and ah. it just kind of caught my attention, and so I decided to, uh, actually build quite a large one, 24 by 72 feet.
1: Wow. And
4: I did a lot of research and figured out how to store heat from the day under the ground so that it actually could be, uh, solar heated. And we started producing fresh greens and we had a plethora of them and uh, decided we should make them available to the local co-op. And so I had to figure out how I wanted to pack those greens, and I really didn't like the idea of putting them in plastic, um, partly because of the plastic and partly because vegetables just tend to get slimy in plastic. So yeah. I did some research and found out that... Uh, in days past years past our grandparents would wrap fresh vegetables in a damp cloth and store them and so i started experimenting with that and found out that uh i could keep i could preserve these lovingly grown and precious greens um, in damp fabric for like up to 2 weeks or more and so I found some to to just do a little experiment. I went to uh the local uh local salvage place, and they had a big package of cotton uh, uh washcloths and I just sewed little tiny pockets um ah. like about eight eight by eight. And started washing our very washing the greens very gently and shaking them off and putting them damp into this damp little bag. And our customers just loved them and said they worked incredibly well.
1: Now these are customers so, for your greens, Sally. For right?
4: the greens, yes. The the people who were members of the co-op and they would. They would take them home in these bags and put them in the refrigerator and and use them as needed, and then they'd return the bags, and we'd launder them and reuse them over and over again. And so it seemed like this really great thing that we were doing, and there was nothing like it on the market. And so once I kind of got the greenhouse business going, it occurred to me that one of the things that was really needed in this. A small town or a small city in, in Maine was really good uh, wintertime work for women. And so I brought together a small group of women to talk about the possibility of starting a business where people would sew bags in their own homes. Wonderful and cottage one of those industry. women well it it was just Um, It was kind of like all the right things came together. And one of these women said, you know, if you do this, you should do it really right. You should get wonderful organic cotton grown in the United States. And as soon as she said that, I thought, she's on it. That's exactly what we should do. Uh So I I found a supplier of Texas-grown organic cotton, uh, and started ordering from him and we got an industrial cutter and started cutting up the bags so that each, each person who was sewing didn't have to do all the cutting. And then, uh, we had a small group of about, um uh, six women sewing bags in their own homes. And that's
0: how it all started. Um, it's sort of like
1: the math industry now. This is like the industrial revolution, where
0: where women, women used to
1: set up used to set up their their uh, textile equipment in their in their homes, and the homes had right. big windows so that there was bright yeah. enough to see for most of the day and well into the evening.
4: It's it's a lovely concept, the uh, cottage industry, that and especially in an extreme, you know. Uh, Winter environment where it's hard to get out and sometimes dangerous. Women were able to get a bin of fabric and turn on podcasts and be doing household chores, the laundry at the same time as they were sewing and take care of children. And so it was just kind of this great little thing that
0: started up in Eastport. (laughs)
1: Now, now well, that's a,
0: wonderful. It's a great here's a,
1: story. Here's a question to which I've always hated for the answer because it varies depending on who you ask. Are the people who live in Maine are they are they Mainers or are they maniacs?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's both. <laughs> Especially in a little city on the edge. It seems like the the edge of things always draw sort of eccentric people, and I guess that's what we would call the maniacs. And then there's <laughs> the good old longtime Mainers who are just steady, salt-of-the-earth people, and you can rely on them
0: no matter what.
4: And uh, we certainly found both in Eastport.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I just picked up uh, from my mother um, when I was – I mean, I picked up the idea from my mother, so that I've always uh, like washed lettuce. We don't even have a salad spinner. Uh, I just um, oh, yes. shake it up a little bit, you know, and then put them in tea towels and roll them up and put them in the yes. refrigerator. Yeah, so exactly. So that's exactly. The kind of the same yeah. idea, isn't it? So we it's, sort of reinvented it's exactly the bag. same idea. Except there yes. is a difference: is that you. On your little brochure here, um, your instructions say that you're supposed to wet the bag and wring it out um, and rinse and shake the produce and then store in the fridge. Um, I, yes. I, first thing is, um, how, how wet should this bag be? And you, you suggest uh, making sure it doesn't dry out and at, wetting it again. Um, I was wondering yes. about how that works. Uh, I don't know how wet it should be. Uh, number two, um, how does it keep from getting the lettuce rusty?
4: I, I didn't hear that last word. How, rusty. How does keep the lettuce from getting rusty? Yeah. Yes. Well, so first of all, um, for lettuce and most greens... Having the bag just damp enough, but not dripping. So, wring it out pretty well. The idea is to create a humid environment. Not to actually have it be wet on the lettuce, but to just have it hold a humid environment. And to, when, when you put it in the fridge, it slowly evaporates. And I'm pretty sure what happens is as it evaporates, the bag breathes a little bit and it allows the ethylene gas that actually causes um, the rotting or the rusting, that ethylene gas escaped. And so it uh, promotes both that the... Lettuce stays well hydrated and crisp and healthy, but it also lets that ethylene gas escape, which is probably why uh, rusting becomes rot when it's in a, uh, in a plastic bag. Oh, I see. So the other question doesn't I had... really hurt the until what? it
0: becomes rotten. I see. But the, the yeah. other question that I had was how how full should the bags be because Peter does like enough for two days and I think it should be enough for over a week. I put lots
4: of vegetables in each bag. The idea is, and part of I'm really glad you mentioned about the salad spinning, I think salad spinning um actually damages the tender greens. Uh-huh. And part of the problem with uh, greens that are that we find in the uh, grocery store, in those plastic boxes that says they've been washed three, three times, times
1: is, yeah, yeah, is,
4: right. is, well, they've been spun three times. Right. And they don't oh, last
0: right. long. Well, not only that, but they what also... What used to get me really upset was that they always had in the supermarket in the produce department they had greens that were not even packed spread out but then they had sprayers from uh, on top of them and they kept spraying water on and I think that was so that it would weigh more uh, when you got when you ah. got it weighed
1: it also wet your, right. it also wet your shirt and your jacket it
0: wet everything I thought that was awful is it
4: it It was way too wet, I think a very light mist might have might have been helpful, but when they get sprayed and they're just soaking wet, I think you're mm-hmm. absolutely right, Anne. then it just they weigh more and uh but it doesn't really help the lettuce. in fact, too much water it may weigh them down and cause them again to just get these small um woundings or breaks in the in the leaf, and that opens the whole thing up. Than to start the rotting process. So being really gentle with greens. That being said, I load up huge amounts of lettuce. I'm just really careful. I put it, put it in very gently, and then shake it just shake the whole bag just a little bit to get the lettuce to settle, and then I add more. So oh yeah.
0: I'm. Well, we haven't been doing I, that. Uh, we to try that. I did it with you know what the, the my biggest success. And trying out to do your product was with mushrooms, button mushrooms. Because and um, tell
4: me how how you did it.
0: I well, see, first of all, the way I usually do it is I, I buy the mushrooms in a, in a clam—not a clamshell, but you know, there's uh, the bottoms with the plastic over the top. And then when right, I was using right. them, and I wouldn't wash them, and when I was using them, I'd puncture the plastic on the top. And take the mushrooms yes. out and wash them. Well, with your bags, right. what I did was I took the whole, all of the mushrooms out of this little container, um, and washed them. I mean, I never used to uh-huh. wash them first. And, um, right. and then put them in the bag and they don't turn rotten brown. They're great.
1: Yeah. So we now have mushroom bags. Yeah. They were, they ball. were a
0: success. And the mm-hmm. other thing was celery, uh, because of the oh, size yeah. of it. I had to uh, um, wash it and and cut the uh, tops off and and cut the stalks in half and then put them in this bag. And uh, they've kept, well, at least over a week, I think.
1: Right. Chris. Celery is
4: good. And isn't it amazing how um, if you'll put that work in up front – yeah, and it's figure. just such a joy to be able to reach in and pull out exactly. a clean vegetable ready to go. But you know, I, we were
0: always taught that it, that would spoil too much if you um, you should wait until just before you use them before you wash them.
4: Well, I think that there there was some wisdom in that if people washed them and then spun them, or weren't careful as they were washing. But if you're, you know, especially with tender things, if you're careful, then it's just, it's, it, it's so much more convenient. And we just, I just love it that I can just reach in the bag, pull Me it too. out, yeah. put it in the, in the bowl or start cutting it up immediately. And,
0: uh, so, yeah, that's what we, I can't wait till, until so summertime easy. to, to try to uh, do it with raspberries. Do you think it works with raspberries? They're so you know, fragile. It's
4: so, they're so fragile. And, and it's interesting. I haven't tested raspberries yet, but we had a question just recently, and um, I started doing some more research. And raspberries, theoretically, would be perfect. I think the way to do it is to keep them, to take any plastic off, but keep them in the little carton. No, I have
0: them I have raspberry bushes in my backyard. So ah, I would pick them right. put them in a bowl yes. and put them in the fridge. Uh-huh. Um, but I wouldn't wash them until just before using them. But I was wondering if if I should change that and bring them in from the garden, wash them and put them in one of these bags. What do you think about that?
4: You know, I think some combination of those two methods might be the best and it may be better to wait to wash them just okay. because they are so fragile. So what I would do is do what you're doing but then put the bowl inside the veggie bag. Oh that's interesting. So that so that they're still contained and they're not um they're not being pressed up against each other. They're, they're a little protected, but the bag is providing that humid environment. And they really, raspberries will stay better at high humidity and low temperature.
1: It'll, it'll also reduce the amount of stain you get from the fruit onto the bag. Yes,
4: yes, yes, because then they would be in a bowl. Now, we do it with cut apples all the time we tend to always put a, a you know quarter of an apple or half an apple in our salad and I I cut the apple and then I put the whole apple you know I just cut it in half and I put it the rest of it in a veggie bag and I also store whole apples in a veggie bag because they don't dry out that way and get wrinkled and they just last
0: forever yeah, we we got one um, food saving thing um, that it's like a little glass thing the size of the uh, fruit uh, and with a rubber lip around it and I, I I tell you I can't get it to work. You have to press. I mean, Aww. there's one the size of a banana, and I I have no yeah. idea how how you get it in this thing with the lip. You know, <laughs> without crushing the banana.
1: Right. <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, bananas are not good in the fridge. They're best left off on the counter.
0: Yeah, well, that's what everybody told me, and they always told me and this is for my whole family you can't freeze them. And you know what? When I ended up with a whole bunch of, of fast ripening bananas, I froze them, I peeled them. But I looked it up on the internet. And they said you certainly can freeze them. And I would, and not just to make um, smoothies. I mean, I actually Uh get them and cut them up for Peter's fruit salad in the morning. Wonderful.
4: I've never tried that. Although my husband has
0: regularly
4: peels ripe bananas that are about to get too ripe and puts them in the freezer and then he makes amazing banana bread on a regular basis oh well, yeah that's because you mash them up but you can use
0: them oh, actually yeah. as fresh fruit too you,
4: so yeah try that one
0: yeah and, and the other uh, my favorite yeah. freezer hack is um, fresh lemons uh and i that's one of the oh, things organic. i always get organic and I, yeah. I wash them and um i put them i dry them and put them actually in it if plastic freezer bag and stick them in the fridge and when I want one I take it out put it in the microwave for like 20-30 seconds and it's like a fresh lemon. Oh I'm going to try that I love that idea. I got so tired of what having is... all these lemons rotting in my refrigerator you know? Yes yes it's yeah, awful. You can do and, the same and, and thing with think... limes too right? Yeah I do limes and lemons both so
4: that's yeah. fantastic. Did, now did you say you cut them
0: or whole? Oh. No whole. The whole, just, whole. And and you know, I okay. do, I just take the whole lemon or lime, wash it, yeah. dry it. Dry it. Make sure yeah. you dry it, otherwise it gets icy. And put it in the freezer uh-huh. bag and stick it in the the um the the freezer. And and right. I've done this uh. also, by the way, When when, uh, we had too many tomatoes, um, I would just, and I was, I I did, I learned this just by accident because I didn't have time to to can the tomatoes. I I picked the tomatoes from the garden, washed them, dry them, don't even spread them out on anything, just throw them in a plastic freezer bag and stick them in the freezer. Now, you can't eat them in a salad that way, but you can use them to cook. Right, right. Isn't it
4: wonderful to find ways to not be wasting these precious vegetables, especially when you buy high-end organic vegetables. It just feels like so sad if we don't eat them up. Um, And so it's great to be finding all these great ways of preserving them so that we don't waste them.
0: So, you, you have on your little brochure here that this works, your bags work for lettuce, salad greens, um, carrots, broccoli, spinach, Swiss chard, kale, celery, eggplant. Eggplant's an interesting one. And does it turn brown? Uh, I will not try it.
4: Well, eventually, but uh, mostly, no,
0: it's fine. Beets, green beans, no, we go through our sprouts. I I have a little sprouting tray. We go through them too, yes. so fast, but I, I could see it working with sprouts too. I need to buy more oh, of these yes. bags. <laughs> They're all in use right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I,
4: I have. And, I of course have a small fleet of them, but uh, I you. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think. And I've had them too, for
4: years.
0: Uh huh. Oh, yeah.
4: They're so well made. How that often they last... do you wash them? Well, I just kind of do that by feel. Some people yeah, may so want actually... to wash them every time. But yeah. um, I, you know, I, I use them depending on what, how long they've been used, whether I just pulled out something that had a little bad spot on it or not, um, so yeah i I usually reuse them once or twice before i before I wash them
0: well anyhow, listeners, note this that it it works to preserve your vegetables um, It's an echo alternative to those awful plastic produce bags that are clogging up and choking our water life and um yes. and very importantly it's it's a worker-owned cooperative, so it benefits the people who actually sew up the bags.
1: Well, yeah, Sally,
0: it's yes. been a pleasure talking to you, and I'm having a lot of fun experimenting with these. And the oh, I'm so them.
4: glad. <laughs> yes, that's So great. they come in
0: three sizes, listeners. I forgot to mention that. And it's spelled yes. V-E-J-I-B-A-G. So go online yes. and uh, and check out the website. Well, yes, you did well.
4: That's great. <laughs> okay. Well, vegybag. Com.
0: Thank you so yeah. much, Sally. Yeah.
4: Oh, thank you for having me on. and, and it was
0: fun. <laughs> uh, great,
4: good health and
0: and pleasure eating to you. Yeah. Hello, to Maine. We we get a lot of Maine seafood and seaweed.
4: Well, we're actually uh we moved our operation to North Carolina, but we still sell bags at um at the uh the
0: wonderful arts and craft store called the Commons in eastport okay, all right, so you've relocated to a warmer climate.
4: <laughs> well, we had grandchildren, and I couldn't stand it right, right, we do too. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Anyhow, we'll keep us posted if you do anything different with your bags. Let us know.
4: All right, we'll do.
0: Thanks, Thanks, Sally. Bye bye. We're going to be talking about a company called Evermill, and we're going to be talking to the co-founders, Mark Goditis and Luke White. And uh, we want to go to handle uh, Luke and Mark as to how old is this company? When did it start? Uh, What what prompted you? I know that everybody is cooking more, and so many, many, many more people are interested in spices, acquiring them, understanding them, learning to use them. Uh, is, is this how you got into this, or tell us the, uh, the origin of your company?
3: Um, so Evermill started, probably the idea started about two years ago. Um, I was uh, had a recipe list and was shopping at the at the local grocery store, and it came to the spices needed for the recipe, and I just was not sure what we had in stock at the house. Um, uh-huh. So I, of course, purchased everything that was on the recipe list um, and, and came back to the house, and, and we had three or four of everything that was on the list. And so I... I just wasted about thirty dollars in spices that I was gonna use about you know maybe a dollar worth of product, and these <laughs> still um, got
0: away cheap it, if he bought all the spices
3: <laughs> yeah and, and it was just it was these these blast these plastic jars were were just terribly ugly, and um just just saw a lot of waste um, in, in the space and um you know i I didn't know what I had um, I didn't know you know, how to use them very well and, and just kind of was very frustrated by the process. Um, and just and just saw the amount of waste that w- the spice was generating. Um, we launched Evermill in about I think we started our website went public in October of twenty twenty. Um, so we're a pretty new company, about four or five months old. Um, started shipping in November of twenty twenty. Oh great.
0: Okay. Um so you 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 have ordering from your website. What is the website? Correct.
3: Uh, www.evermill.com. Uh, and we are only available um, direct to consumer from our website currently.
1: Now, presumably, presumably, you're you're headed with the ambition of being being on Whole Foods or Amazon or somewhere like that in Dubai. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, eventually, the future we would love to. Have everyone have an Evermill rack, and, and they could buy the, the retail packets at you know their their local grocery store market. Um, just
0: yeah, would create it's a lot less waste the, the
3: market. With
0: radio or audio has one um, drawback: is you can't really see the pictures as you can on television. But describe this: it's you have a rack, and you have really tidy bottles great labels. Describe it to our listeners.
3: Yeah, so um, the Evermill Rack is is, uh, it comes in two variations. One is a countertop um, and one is an in-drawer. The countertop has uh, kind of two rows or three rows of six amber jars. Um, They're they're dark amber to keep kind of the light and heat out, um, Mm -hmm. which keeps the spices. Yeah, I caught on to that
0: one right away. That was, you know, because I have my first effort at at dealing with spices was a long time ago, but I found that um, junior juice bottles, you know, which I was going through at a a quick pace uh, for babies, uh, were perfect fits for if you took old sewing machines, you know, with the the drawers in them and mounted them on the wall, three in a row on each wall, and then filled these jars with the spices you know uh, i then of course made the mistake of um the glass was clear which is bad so i i realized this was wonderful of, on your part for for having the um the uh, uh, protected the the coating of it yeah and um and and the other thing was i had no I I eventually got to the point where the top shelf was always getting just left to rot because I couldn't reach it, <laughs> and I had yeah. I had it on either side of the stove, which exposed it to
3: heat. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the we we really make sure that people when they when they get their vermilion rack set up um, to just you know move it away from their stove and oven and to keep it away from from the heat. You know, it really allows them to, you know, have their spices at hand, and, um, you know, it's that that if it's always in your vision, you're going to use it a lot more. Yeah,
0: yeah. now it, I my next venture was putting them into drawers, but I found out there's limitations to that too. I, I didn't have as much space as I had bottles, and they were all different sizes. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, had to juggle through to even find what you wanted. So um, with yours, I alphabetized their lineup.
3: Yeah.
0: Is that what yeah. you intended?
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we, we always have ours alphabetized, but they tend to, you know, if you're you're cooking and you just put them back in, they, they kind of move a little bit. But um, in general, yeah, we keep them alphabetized. I, I
0: really have a after. question about how you selected the spices. I noticed yep. that um, you have a couple blends there. But um, you don't have rosemary, which I use constantly, and there's another one that um, I couldn't find. What
1: was that? Be- basil, I think basil was one of them. Basil,
0: no basil. They do have yeah. oregano. But, I mean, what what determined your your spice choice? I mean, the, um, the really common ones. We do have oregano. That's yeah, and 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 you have the blends. Uh, but how did you d- decide who uses what? Because they always change.
3: Yeah. So for for um, the rosemary, um, you know, je- very rarely do recipes call for dried rosemary. I think fresh rosemary is always kind of better. Um, okay. So we kind of left a lot of those. You know, we wanted to provide the best spices and dress best, herb, best herbs for, um, for you know, for the occasion. So, we, you know, we generally think that fresh rosemary is generally much better. It is, um, so, we, it is. so we didn't want to supply something that would be a subpar product um, when you could do that. Uh, we eventually, you know, want to turn some of the paper products in our, into uh, kind of seeds so you can kind of grow your own rosemary from oh, okay. product. Um, but the product. product. But the overall choices um, were kind of selected based on popularity from some market research we did and also – um kind of the um the building blocks of a lot of blends um okay you from our core and complete you can kind of get very close and, and or perfect some some very uh common spike blends um the blends that you kind of can't do or, or do or select we we um we put in such as Teresa um captain's blend is kind of a a play on Old Bay, and then our Evermill is a kind of a poultry overall um, blend.
0: Yeah, well, um, no, I, I had this question. Of, um, you, you When you use it up, then you just reorder one of those uh, refills with the little envelopes yep. like the way they come. And Correct. Then you yeah, the you, jar. Can, uh,
3: you, can, you can use our um, technology, which is a text order, Um so um when you when you purchase an Evermill rack, um we send a VCF card so you can sort into your your smartphone um as a contact. Um it'll save your information and then whenever you uh if you're cooking and you know you run out of um sumac, you can just text sumac to our number. Um you'll have to confirm it's a a two step process. Um and then you should get the the packet, you know, within forty eight hours. Seventy-two hours wow. max. Um, and then the packets are there. The packets we have now are they're almost almost 100 percent compostable. Um, the next version we have will be 100 percent compostable. Um, so we're we're getting there, um, but and should well, have that done I mean, in, a couple, in a month or two. It's, it's a
0: really burgeoning field, and I mean I, I, we've talked to a lot of uh, people people doing this and they're very particular about how they source these i mean how do you go into the field and talk to the farmers or
3: what do you do um so we um we we plan to get there um you know we had based on our initial research organic was kind of a a big selling point and kind of something our customers really wanted um so we focused on that um We wanted a collection that was approachable from kind of the broadest range of home chefs um, and also always wanted our spices to be available in scale. Um, So we, you know, when you buy the jar, we didn't want something to come out, you know, different and that jar kind of go to waste, Um, you know, because if your cinnamon changes or whatever, um, we wanted, you know, the jar to always be available for that. Um, Our spices come from all over. Um, you know, India, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, um, but are you know, as spices, we just focus on quality. Um, they they we we find the best organic spices um, wherever they are. So they're all organic. That's good. Um, yeah, all of our spices now are all organic, um, which is pretty hard to find, um, and they're certified organic as well. Um, you know, we hope to grow these spices. We hope to grow this company to, to kind of bring more traceability and more work with the farmers. Um but right now it's just, just Luke and I and um you know we're a small team so and we just launched so we're we're hoping to bring a lot more traceability and and clarity to the spice market. How'd you get the design? Uh the the design of the rack? Yes um it's kind of a minimal design um it allows the spices to be the star of the show front and center um the teardrop uh kind of self-aligning uh we yeah. just came up with and that's oh, that, that's um, what you
1: call that that's the teardrop
3: yeah yeah so all the spices if you kind of put it in at like a about a 30 degree angle um
1: uh-huh. the,
3: the there's a lack of friction between the glass and the metal so they all self-align um of course, yeah, it's not going to cool. work if you put it in 180 degrees wrong. But, um, yeah, something that we felt was kind of a nice touch for our customers. Um, production-wise, it kind of caused a headache because all the glass jars are completely custom. Um, oh, so, oh, oh, <laughs> I never thought was, of about uh, that. Yeah, yeah, custom glass ended up being quite a, quite a hurdle to tackle in production. Um, but glad we did it because, you know, our customers are really loving it. Um, you know, if something's sitting on your countertop, um, you want to make sure it's it's perfectly it looks perfect at all times.
1: Yeah, um, it's very elegant, Mark. It's thank no, you. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah. There's very much. There's no question about that. The, the only The only thing I'm trying to decide is, is whether we're going to sue you for stealing Anne's idea of the of, of the sewing <laughs> <machine> drawers.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, have, have you seen our indoor so model? Do I what? Have you seen our indoor model? We have an indoor model um, that are that are kind of they're black modular pieces that you can kind of piece um, for your your drawer, um, and the, the it puts an angle to the to the jars so you, they're always readable from from your um, your kitchen drawer.
0: That sounds good. I mean, I've seen um, utensil drawers like that. It sort of tilts them up so you get more into. Yeah, yeah,
3: I'll um I'll send you a, a photo. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's all
0: very cool. Um, how are you marketing it? who are you targeted for for marketing?
3: Um, we're strictly online ads, um, a lot of social media stuff. Um we've spent no money in in like influencers or anything, just kind of um just getting the product in the hands of people that we think really like it. Um, Thank you too. As well. Yeah, I mean,
0: if if you add some more spices, is there is this expandable in any way? And first of all, could you yeah, get more absolutely. jars, more labels? Can you get more? Yep. um Expand. Yeah, all of that.
3: So, so we're we're working towards that this year. That's our goal for for this quarter and next. Is um, we're we plan to bring six spices on in, in the near future. Um, and then, kind of, um, you'll be able to buy the jars and spices individually. Um, and then you will kind of, if it's if you have the in drawer, you'll be able to buy more modular pieces. Um, and then, if you have a countertop, um, we're kind of coming up with a a front of house, back of house solution where um, you'll be able to kind of select your most chosen spices and put them on the countertop. And then we've come up with kind of a, a pantry storage solution for your ever mill jars that that you kind of use a little less frequently yeah.
0: well i i actually didn't put mine on the wall but it's actually on the countertop it works fine
3: yeah 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 it, it'll it'll work just as well on the countertop or hanging from a wall
0: um, yeah, i mean it's I, I don't know how people manage in kitchens if they cook a lot and they, the latest trend in kitchens is putting everything in cabinets and no no upper cabinets, just lower ones. I mean, you yeah. have to have a really big space to do that. I mean, I don't have that big a
3: kitchen. You do, yeah. A lot of architects um, are kind of telling people to keep their appliances off of um, yeah. their countertops, but a lot of architects haven't seen the other Miller Act yet, so we're trying to, to change that.
0: Right. Well, you've thought, given a lot of thought to this because you have a lot – of in the future, you, your work's cut off for you, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of exciting plans in the in the near future. Um, you know, we have a a lot of um, a lot of people requesting international shipping, um, oh, wow, so hopefully we'll, Good. we'll uh, yeah, it's 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 a kind of a compliment to hear people from all around the world trying to get an Evermore rack um, in there. Some people are using proxy services or, or shipping it to friends and family to, to have them forward along. Um, but we will probably offer international shipping this year. Um, that's good, because our program, of course, is internet-based, so we have a lot of overseas
1: uh, hits on our website.
3: Yeah, that's great. Um, you, know,
1: you can have them send just, us an email just, and
3: we'll do our just best. Just
1: an, ob- an, observa- an observation marker whether your marketing hat will trigger you to think about doing something about this or or not. I'll I'll go with the the interesting thing. I I ran out of Chinese five spice the other day. And it's it's a a critical ingredient in a recipe for making veal burgers that we got from a butcher (laughs) shop on Madison Avenue in New York. (laughs) <laughs> and you spring you it in the middle and it's not quite the same if you don't have Chinese fried spice. So I've been trying to find it at Whole Foods and the Whole Foods spice department is a total disaster. They have hardly yep. anything. They, they, have hardly, they used to have all kinds of stuff. Now they don't have hardly anything. What since Amazon bought them? Well, I, I was just thinking if 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 you... If you are looking, if you are looking for a place that has a lot of outlets, yeah, Whole food, or food yeah, certainly, certainly qualifies. Yeah, and
3: you know that the packets are um, they pack very tightly, so we could get a lot of uh, product onto a, a shelf compared to compared to jars. Right, um, right,
1: right.
3: Yeah, you, you, some some spice companies ship in, in little, you know, tablespoon bags, um, then wrapped in, in cardboard um and then most spice companies have the the standard um plastic uh cylinders. Uh-huh. yeah the
0: the trend also seems to be packing your spices in those grinders which never work yeah
3: yeah and it's just more plastic that that you know ends up in a landfill or possibly being recycled a lot of that thick plastic is is hard to be recycled um and yeah, I mean, when you think about how much plastic there is for um, such a small amount of product, um, it, it really just kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
1: And the damp, the damp grinders, never, never, they, they never work. Yeah, they never work. And, and
3: if you do want to, if you know, if there is a product inside that you want, they're impossible to take off the lids to get the product <laughs> to move into another pepper oh. grinder that you do like.
1: Um, oh, yeah. so it's really frustrating. <laughs> I had a, I've been I had a, there with that one. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a problem with that one with the with the uh, pepper. The, the black the black Zanzibar peppercorns, which I really yep. like, but I like them whole. I'm I yeah. trying to think. Didn't work anyway. So, yeah. boy, I, it took me it took me 45 minutes <laughs> to, get, to get the lid off. I, I, was, I think I was we're about to, to give thing, up Yeah.
0: Okay, do you know, yeah. in terms of packaging, though, I mean, there are—I have a hate list of, of packaging uh, f- fails. One of them is we love the, qu- the uh, quality and flavor of these particular pickles. I can't remember the brand name, but um, it's, it's almost impossible to open the plastic container. <laughs> and I found out yeah. different
1: companies—they all use
0: the same container. I don't know where it's yeah. made, but this. Almost-
1: <laughs> You can't yeah. get you can't get you can't get the lid off. And then the challenge is you know in your future you're gonna to have to put the lid back on again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I the mean, that's why we designed ours
3: for um you know, they fit a um you know, they're they're wide brimmed, so you can fit a tablespoon in there. There's no more, you know, shaking over your sink because it, it creates such a mess. Um every other little rack <laughs> comes to it. Two yeah, I like ribs. your
0: wide um, your wide mouth too. I like that too. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, well, um, did you do yeah, a lot of cooking? I mean, I mean, how did you yeah. know what you? Yeah,
1: I yeah, just I, wondered how uh, you
0: managed to do this. And I mean, I do you ever have any? Of, do you have any contact yeah. with your growers, or what do you? How do you? So, how yeah. do you figure out what to, um, what to order? Well,
3: we have a, a great distributor in the United States, um, and and they do a lot of our uh, reaching out um, and a lot of our contact. We, um, you know, we our plan for for the next few months is to kind of um, start relationships with farmers and and kind of you know if they're not organic, work with them to kind of get that organic certification and, and build a business big enough um, and you know enough demand to eventually support those small farmers and widen the the U.S. appeal for fair trade and um, traceability practices. Well, I mean, this,
0: <laughs> you're very bold to try all of this now with the COVID the travel restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. haven't been any place. We're usually overseas like three or four times a month. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've been nowhere I'm for a year. Yeah. Well, listen, yeah, I, you I, saw I, our... I, I'm, I okay. told you in like, my... In my email to you that that uh, it's so tidy looking that it makes my kitchen look like a dump. But the rest
3: of the kitchen,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no! So now I, I really want to
3: organize everything.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, we you know we eventually hope to to grow this business to um, you know tackle most kitchen items, most pantry items um, to kind of bring bring an meal touch to to most kitchen things.
0: Well, how did you get the name Evermill? I didn't understand that.
3: Oh, just because it was the the of like the text repo process, you kind of like an everlasting mill of spices,
1: a nonstop mill. Why why didn't why didn't we think of it? What
3: was it? <laughs> <laughs> like a spice mill
1: and every, like an everlasting
3: spice mill. Oh, <laughs> funny. Yeah, we well, yeah we, we, we went through, we, through names. Were, names are names mm-hmm. are the hardest LA,
1: i know
0: <laughs> yeah because you can get all kinds of associations with the name that you don't want to <laughs> it's true
1: yeah well, you, you could call them yeah. you could always call them harry and megan they're in la these days aren't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good one well ask. it's
0: been a delight to discover you and I, I wish you continuing success with your your business and and it's expansion. You, I think, have your work cut out for you it's, with all your good ideas. So, um, Thank you very I, much. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you took the time to talk to us about it. And uh, hopefully you'll get your overseas sta-
3: straightened out. Yeah. Well, let uh, we'll let us know ahead when ahead. you need some refills. Yeah, and we'll, we'll start working on that Chinese Five Spice for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it, another
0: episode of On the Menu Radio, uh, accounted for. I hope everyone enjoys it. And I hope that you come back next week,
1: same time, same place. And, it, and until it, then. And here's a tip for you. Next week program goes out on Mother's Day. Oh, wow. So don't <laughs> forget. So, so you have no excuse for forgetting. And we will look forward to Talking to you and bringing you interesting things about food, drink and travel. Same time, same place next week and until then, bye bye!